Hello everybody and welcome to Foreign Invader. I am Conrado Falco the third and today on a very special Foreign Invader we're doing something very different. We're talking about a problem that is invading society and it's that these kids won't stop watching the Snyder Cut. And in order to talk about this have a very special expert on the subject. It's the great Chris Mello, the one and only. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. Uh, speak those kids who can't stop watching the Snyder Cut are me. Uh, <laughs> every time I want to watch something else, I'm like, oh, what if I watch the Snyder Cut instead? Fantastic. I'm really excited uh, for you to be on the show. Um, I think we're going to have a great conversation. Let's start... So I think some people who listen to the show might not know what the hell the Snyder Cut is. So maybe we Good should for like... them, to be honest, like <laughs> even even as somebody who loves it, like, God bless you. I'm so happy for you. Yeah. So I did not know off. what it was until like a couple of days ago when it came out. So. Oh, really? Yeah. So, wow. yeah. So I think some people might need to be given a little bit of context. Um I don't even know where to start with this, though. Okay, um, I think I can. Um, so, in 2013, the filmmaker Zack Snyder released his movie, uh, Man of Steel, his new Superman film, to, I guess, muted response. It's not, it wasn't hated, but it wasn't beloved either. Um, I think it has like a 56% RT score. Um, pretty middling. But it was the start of the DC Expanded. Is that what the E is for? Uh, expanded Universe. That's right. Um, and, you know, he followed that up in 2016 with Batman v Superman, which was kind of the starting point of DC trying to expand into a Marvel Cinematic Universe style cinematic universe. I'm going to say cinematic universe a whole lot, um, probably. <laughs> and I hate this those words. the world we live in But they, they, they just, everything. Um, and that movie got a supremely negative response, including from me. Um, I hated it. Actually, you were one of the first person people I saw to suggest that maybe it wasn't that bad um, with your three star. Hey, this isn't so bad review uh, at the time. <laughs> I've come around on it since then. But then based on response to that movie, uh, he was given some notes for his upcoming Justice League movie, which would include all the other heroes in addition to Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, a few other people, a few other people. And essentially he was given notes to make it a little bit funnier, um, a little bit snappier, lighter in tone, a few other things. Um, but then a couple things complicated this further. Uh, one was the death of Zack Snyder's daughter, Autumn, to suicide. And the other was uh, Warner Brothers bringing in Joss Whedon. Um, to do punch-up originally, but then eventually he wound up taking over the film. Uh, Zach left to be with his family. And the version that was released had, I think, 10% of the released version is what Zack Snyder made. And then the rest is almost all Whedon reshoots. Hmm. And the movie that came out is, I think, a mess. I'm not sure because I don't remember anything about it uh it, that mm -hmm. movie was just complete mush i remember seeing it in 2017 a year removed from batman v superman before i had really revisited that movie and kind of grappled with it and even then i saw justice league and i thought this is significantly worse than batman v superman 
It's if only because it's less interesting. It's terrible. It's almost a non-movie. It's um, awful. For context, I mean, if someone's listening and has seen it, they will know how bad it is. But like yeah. Sajda thought that she hadn't seen it. And then when she was watching the Snyder Cut, she was like, oh, I have seen that movie. Yeah. It was so bad. There are several scenes in the Snyder Cut um, that I thought were brand new because the versions of them in the release cut are so listless and, and just nothing. So mm-hmm. the Snyder Cut, soon after the release of that uh bad justice league movie uh social media campaign started to hashtag release the snyder cut um i don't really want to get into how toxic that campaign became um there were Mm -hmm. um it was the internet so of course there were uh less than savory people saying less than savory things uh directing death threats at warner brothers executives and critics who didn't like Zack snyder and a few other things but for whatever reason Warner Brothers gave Zack Snyder $70 million to basically go and mm-hmm. with his footage of the movie reconstruct what something approximating his cut would look like. Right. This is what I and find. So now we have very... a four hour version of this movie. Yeah. What I find very interesting about that situation is that the people who did the campaign, the fans who wanted the Snyder version of it, um, they thought that there was a cut of this movie that he had finished that was his vision and that was right. taken away from him, but that didn't really exist. So in order right. to he had actually, a print. right. In um, order to fulfill their vision, Warner Brothers had to spend a lot of money to allow Zack Snyder to actually make right. what he wanted to do. The only, um, I, I've seen comparisons made, um, obviously to things like Heaven's Gate and things like that, which uh, is a bit much, but I guess the only real analog to this would be the Superman two Donner cut. Um, that movie of course was taken from, uh, Richard Donner and given to Richard Lester. And uh, it wasn't until 2006 that the Donner cut was released. And it's essentially a, a good looking work print. And I think that this version is kind of that as well. It's a work print with uh, finished VFX. Uh, in an interview recently, Snyder said that his editor had held on to this for a while and had this cut constructed. And they were thinking of only showing it to like friends and family at, at events and things like that. But um so yeah it's kind of a small miracle that this even exists um it's very strange and we'll get into the ways in which i feel like there's a lot in this movie that you don't see especially not in superhero movies but you don't see in you know movies that actually come out ever especially at this big of a scale mm-hmm. you know so this is a 4 hour version of the movie that is Basically, the the vision that Zack Snyder, by all intents and purposes, had to that he wanted to make when he set off to make the movie. And maybe there's things that have changed a little bit in the interim because it's been a couple of years. So maybe different preoccupations have come to the forefront of his mind. Um, But it's by all intents and purposes, his vision. It is four hours long. It's now available to stream on HBO Max. And I think... It is, you know, 100% the vision of an artist, of a person who has something to say. And I think that's, to me, the most exciting thing about it. I think no matter what you come away thinking about the movie, um, and it's easy to imagine and to read uh, myriad opinions about it, um, the the, the two things that I think are undeniable is, one, yeah, it's obviously better than what came out in 2017. Uh, I don't think even people who hate it are saying otherwise. Uh, and two, it's um, 
it's clearly a tourist um, in so many ways. Uh, it is one of the most idiosyncratic movies made in its genre, um, especially since, I don't know, since Spider-Man 2, maybe. Um, and we, we talk about the way superhero cinema has crushed um, the ideas of artists, but we also look at the people that when say Marvel brings in a filmmaker with a distinct personality, it's usually a humorist, um, like their failed progress with Edgar Wright or bringing in Taika Waititi. Um, and for as much as I think some of Waititi's films are very funny, he doesn't have a strong visual style or a thematic obsession the way Zack Snyder does. Hmm. And to what you were saying before about the ways in which the vision may have changed, I think that's fairly obvious the way in which uh, the tragedy in Zack Snyder's life has very clearly colored what this film is about. Um, if this was, if the, he had gotten to release a version of this back then, I without that happening, I don't know that the specific tone of this movie would pervade it the way it does. Mm, yeah. First of all, I want to say it's very interesting what you said about the Marvel directors, how the ones that have the most personality are humorists. I had not made that connection before, but that's absolutely right. Yeah, I think it's... they've only broken from that with um, the upcoming Eternals movie. Is the right. first time someone not funny is... Someone not like, funny with a vision. With, with Yeah, <laughs> with a vision. Uh, who knows what that vision is? Who knows what we'll see in that uh, movie? I... I have no idea yeah um for context I, that person is a uh, director chloe zhao who's made um nomadland and it's probably going to win an oscar in a couple months or weeks the grumble in your voice there <laughs> <laughs> i'm very disillusioned with the <laughs> with, nomadland, with the yeah. awards world uh yeah <laughs> um uh, but let's let's talk about snyder and and this vision yeah. and mm, maybe let's talk about your journey because I think a lot of people, at least a lot of people in my timeline, um, are in a similar situation to you where they once were not into Snyder, not into Batman v Superman. Yeah. And throughout this history, now they are all fans of uh, the Snyder Cut. So, yeah, are... um, uh, there's a couple things there. But first of all, I guess I still haven't seen the first few Zack Snyder films. I have not seen his remake of Dawn of the Dead. I have not seen 300. Uh, I have not seen Legends of the Guardians, the Owls of Gahul. Um, <laughs> but my first exposure to Zack Snyder was Watchmen. And I saw that movie with my father um, when I was 17 years old. And we were both excited to see it because we had seen the trailer for it uh before the dark knight i remember this vividly uh and it uh uses a the trailer for that uses a sad version of the song that smashing pumpkins did for batman and robin yeah uh, which it's uh, a great trailer and a good song. wonderful it, it's a good song great trailer um and so we were really interested in and i immediately went and i read watchmen and we saw it together and me and my dad both liked it um but, and and honestly, at this point in my life, I wasn't really into movies at all. I pretty much only saw superhero movies and James Bond movies um, with my father. And I liked it, 
But then I immediately talked to people that I went to school with who were like big Watchmen fans, and they proceeded to tell me every reason why it was terrible. And <laughs> me being a stupid kid and not trusting my own instincts, I was like, okay, yeah, I guess it's bad. Um, I still don't know. I have not rewatched it to this day, but I just carried that idea with me that this was bad, that what Zack Snyder was doing in it was bad and all these other things. And that carried over. I didn't see Man of Steel in theaters, but I caught up with it later. And I thought some parts were pretty good, pretty functional, and other parts I didn't like so much. Um, as a comic book fan, Superman killing Zod didn't really sit well with me. And then Batman v Superman, I remember I saw with the first guest on the show, uh, A.B. Seidel, um, oh, yeah. in IMAX. And we saw that movie. And I guess about an hour in, A.B. turns to me and he says, this is, this is kind of good. And I was like, yeah, it is. It's really interesting. And then by the end, our other friend who we were with just exclaimed, garbage at the top of his lungs as soon as credits rolled. And by that point, we all kind of agreed with him. Hmm. Uh, so I was kind of totally out on Zack Snyder. I thought that his movies were brooding, dour, fascistic, um, and a whole bunch of other things that I think get thrown around in regards to him a lot. Um, over the years, though, um, I started reading more stuff, mostly on Letterboxd, uh, not really stuff that was being published by any major outlet, um, that was giving him and giving Batman v Superman especially a lot of careful consideration. And the way my brain works when it comes to movies that I might be mixed on or I'm interested in despite disliking is I kind of tend towards adopting the opinions of whatever has been most interesting to read. And all the positive responses to Batman v Superman were consistently more engaging to me and had more to say and were finding more interesting things. And eventually the basic criticisms of Snyder kind of fell away from me and I was like but aren't we just repeating the same things over and over aren't we taking certain things as a baseline for good like are we inherently understanding seriousness in this genre to be a bad thing and if so why why do we have to mock something that dares to take this seriously and why do we have to instead prefer the thing that says mm, it's a superhero movie it doesn't matter right mm. um and i understand the ways in which that is more palatable and the ways in which you don't have to um seriously engage with ideas that are honestly pretty silly but more than anything i think Zack snyder's justice league this new version is kind of a testament to what can be achieved when you are serious about it and when you aren't approaching it purely as product yeah i have a couple of things to say about that first of all is that for me um i'm not a i i was into superheroes as a kid and i watched like the batman and superman cartoons i watched super friends in you know yeah. from the 70s shit like that um but i wasn't very much a dc kid i was born mm -hmm. to the marvel superheroes so i wasn't super familiar with the characters but when I was watching Zack Snyder's movies. Um, so in Batman v Superman, what really got to me was the way that he was using this whole iconography of the characters and the yeah. and the grandeur. And, and I suddenly watching that, it was a bit of a mess, in my opinion, 
I haven't revisited since, but at that time I was like, this movie is like a little bit messy. I don't know if everything works, but there's a lot of stuff here that it's making me feel a particular way. Like these images, these characters, you know? Yeah. I should say that when I did revisit it, it was in its uh, extended ultimate edition, which makes a lot more sense. It's Mm -hmm. very clean. It's very coherent. And you kind of understand what that movie is. Um, And also that movie is like, Hey, what if, it considers Superman to be an ultra-powerful immigrant more than anything else. Um, th- that's why we're doing this in Foreign Invader, right? Mm-hmm. It's either it's either that or because this doesn't come from America, it comes from the twisted mind of Zack Snyder. Uh, <laughs> one of the two. But so it, it has ideas and like the ideas, you can kind of see Watchmen as a dry run for what he does with uh, Batman v Superman where he's like, what if these were beings that existed in our real world? And not just like in the Nolan way, where it's like, what if I made Heat, but with Batman, uh, where it is instead like, no, what if we put Batman and Superman and Lex Luthor, who is a tech bro, inside the world of real life geopolitics and see how that plays out? Mm -hmm. Um, So you have all this stuff about like, Really, that movie is about Silicon Valley bros manipulating the politics of America, both on a domestic level and um, and, and and the world at large, which like sounds ridiculous for a movie that is literally called Batman V, not versus Batman V Superman Dawn of Justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like one of the things I had a problem with as a comics fan when I first saw that movie was I was like, why does he posit Metropolis and Gotham as across a river from one another? That's not the geography in the comics or whatever, but it's so clearly one, a comment on gentrification and who gets left behind. And two, just about the most powerful being in the world's uh, kind of myopic response to everything. Like he's able to take care of things overseas and in Metropolis, but in Gotham, no, thank you. I'm not going Mm -hmm. there. Um, And it's just the sort of thing that like Marvel movies certainly don't attempt anything like that. So even if there are things in in that movie that I think don't quite work or don't wholly hold together, it's definitely something, you know? Yeah. I think these characters, the Justice League, are more suited to his vision than the Watchmen characters were because so so much the Watchmen characters... I mean, there's Dr. Manhattan, who is kind of Superman-like, but most of the characters are kind of like... The point of Watchmen is that they are flawed individuals and it's kind of very realistic, social, psychodrama kind of thing. Whereas I think his interest is in the idea that these are of like... What would it be like to have superpowers? You would be a god amongst men. And what would that actually be like, you know? And I think Justice League is 100% about that, right? Yeah, absolutely. These movies all have um, a mythopoeticism to them that is really, really grand. And the thing about his Watchmen, when I think about it, is I don't think that Zack Snyder misunderstands Watchmen, as so many people do. I do think that he understands that it's supposed to be portraying these heroes in a negative light. It's that Zack Snyder is maybe the most sincere filmmaker on the planet. There's not an ironic bone in that man's body. And the problem with Watchmen then is that Watchmen is satirical and Zack Snyder can't do satire. Mm. Everything that everybody does on screen has to kick ass. And Mm. it does. It like almost always does actually kick ass. 
So even if he is trying to criticize the characters at the heart of Watchmen, everything they do comes off as so cool. But what I kind of like about that is that that's the experience of being a dumb teenager and reading Watchmen, where you're like, I know what this is going for. I know what this is supposed to mean, but I think this is sick as hell. It's an interesting litmus test. Like, can you look past it in the movie version? Right. Yeah. Um, can, can you kind of see different things there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about Justice League Snyder Cut, or actually Zack Snyder's Justice League as it is presented Z-S-J-L. on HBO. Hell, yeah. <laughs> on HBO Max. Um, uh, Chris, you wrote a great review on Dim the House Lights, which I am definitely going to link in the show notes. Thank you. Um, which I thought was great, and I took a couple of notes, so I'm looking them over um, to see what's happening here okay so one of the things that was very interesting that you already have talked a little bit about is this idea of taking things seriously versus most of the marvel movies and the other superhero movies that are very quippy and are kind of trying to deflate what's uh the stakes of what's going on yeah and i have and i'm wondering about that in terms of it's interesting that those movies are so much about taking things lightly and not taking things too seriously, but the people who like them, to them, it's all very serious and they invest so much yeah. in this franchise. So do we see a disconnect there or like, I don't know. Maybe, I mean, I don't want to demean um, the people who respond to the MCU. Um, it's the most popular thing on earth for a reason. I think those movies are in many ways undeniably successful. Um, I've got like several of them on the shelf behind me. Um, I I don't think about those movies very much, but I'll throw them on and I will be like, sure, this is this is fun, this is engaging, this is entertaining, and then it goes nowhere else. Mm-hmm. The problem for me is that I think when those movies try to engage with anything seriously, which is something that they're currently doing on TV, um, I think WandaVision and the just premiered Falcon and Winter Soldier are trying to be about something um i don't think that they've been successful so far personally um but if there's a disconnect i i am not sure where it comes from um i certainly think that part of it is that so maybe i'll contradict myself a little bit here and i think that perhaps what it is that people like about the marvel cinematic universe is that through that jokiness, they're able to get on board with something and then afterwards they might be able to consider the ideas, right? Mm. So the problem they might have with some of the DCEU stuff and really specifically the Snyder stuff because the other films don't really have this um, issue is that the the ask to get on board is so much bigger, right? It Like they're not interested in onboarding you in the same way. Um, they are like here's what i'm doing um if you don't like it i guess go watch something else like that's kind of the vibe they have from the very beginning um they can be very aggressive and they have a very particular aesthetic um that i don't think you know allows for people to come on board in the easy way that like you can like watch the avengers you can just kind of put it on and be like oh okay i know these characters um they're doing the thing that i like them to do Like, it's, you know, I saw Infinity War opening night and people were going crazy for it. 
but I, I don't know how much of that was real feeling and or how much of that was investment in the story right hmm. like i write in my piece that at the end of infinity war when thanos snaps and everybody starts to die are people like actually engaging with what that means or are they wondering oh how is the next movie going to come back from this and walking out of the theater all i heard anybody say was oh in the next one this is going to happen mm-hmm and then in the next one, that did happen. Yeah. Um, I'm going to invoke friend of the show, A.B. Seidel, one more time, who told me. And I was in absolute disbelief that when he saw the movie, there were people who were crying when uh, the Winter Soldier, Bucky, died or disappeared. And I was like, for that guy who has had like maybe two lines in these hey, movies? Man, he's got his own TV show now. Uh, and But like the thing is also something that DC doesn't really have anymore that Marvel has had since the beginning. And part of the reason is the MCU is like a big Tumblr following. Right. Mm. Um, that like goes even further back. Like kids on Tumblr always preferred Marvel comics to DC ones. And so if you know anything about slash fan fiction, writing stories in which Captain America and Bucky fuck. Right. That's such a big thing. So when you see that they, they have that like attachment to it, um, which is like I guess where that comes from, yeah. and you know what? Um, yeah, and, and and I think these Marvel movies also might benefit from the how much extra textual stuff there is to yeah. them. How much of the fandom is not about the movies themselves, but the time in between the movies, or thinking yep. what will happen next, having theories, writing slash fiction, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Whereas you see something like Zack Snyder's Batman v Superman, and it's the vision that is been presented to you and it's close right you know? and basically every character within the marvel movies is uh i don't want to say the same but there's very much an archetype there that they want you to um root for that character wholeheartedly there's there they do have personal problems but they're never unlikable in the way that like batman is extremely unlikable in Batman v Superman. That's the mm. whole deal that that movie's going for. And it can be harder to latch on, especially if what you're invested in is the ongoing story rather than any sort of real emotionalism. Mm -hmm. So in your piece, you point out there's a lot of pain in Justice League. Um, mm -hmm. The movie begins with Superman dying and, and his cry of his death cry basically you know, vibrating through the galaxy and everyone kind of mm -hmm. notices it, even if they don't know exactly what's going on. And you can sense that uh, what what surprised me the most was to find a movie that was so thematically coherent in Justice yeah. League because the theatrical version was so not. And I think a lot nothing. of it is that, and I don't know why they did this i think it's low-key racist actually that the theatrical version completely cuts out almost everything to do with cyborg oh who it's is, high key racist who is the center of this movie he's yeah. the emotional center and it's it's so sad that since the original justice league has come out ray fisher hasn't done anything when i do think that he is legitimately very very good in this movie um and has a lot to do um, and of course he's come out and said that there were abuses that he suffered on set at the hands of Joss Whedon. Um, but regardless of what those were, and I don't mean to minimize them, I believe that they happened. Uh, and my heart goes out to him and I stand with him. 
uh, I would be pissed just at them cutting my fucking movie. Like, mm-hmm. his whole arc is gone, and here it's restored, and it gives the movie so many of its best portions. Um, I think that one of the things that struck me watching this four-hour cut of Justice League is that um, while I definitely think that you probably could cut this movie down to two and a half hours, I personally wouldn't um, for a lot of reasons that I think are fascinating. Um, What they actually wound up cutting is just baffling. Mm -hmm. Um, They cut all thematic resonance. They They cut all the character um and the thing is it's one of those things where one of the things people said Zack snyder was always bad at is character and they're like hey we heard the reviews for your last movie we're gonna fix this one for you let me take out all the character yeah and replace it with nothing replace it with like a bunch of jokes that exactly and at the same time it's like they were responding to the reaction to the theatrical cut of batman v superman which they cut down from what he had. And what he had was also a very coherent movie mm-hmm. um, with character arcs and like emotional plotting. Um, yeah. So it, it it's really an infuriating situation, but I think that the coherence of this movie and the emotional through line, um, which is one, obviously the most like hopeful thing um, Zack Snyder's ever done, um, and you know it's it's a film that is very clearly invested in ideas about family and mm-hmm. ideas about loss and ideas about potentially not being able to mend old wounds right like uh, i write about this a little bit in my piece but in infinity war the end of the world doesn't matter right like it happens and it seems bad in universe but i don't feel a thing um in this movie it means everything to me because the whole plot of the movie is about families coming back together and fixing things that they haven't addressed in a very long time. I mean, Cyborg is the result of his father resurrecting him because he wants time to be a better father. Um, and there's just this, and the, the Flash's father is of course in prison for uh, being falsely accused of murdering the Flash's mother and Barry wants to fix that. But if the world ends, the possibilities that are presented uh, for reunification, reconciliation are just ripped from us, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something that we can't get back, which, of course, I think is on uh, Snyder's mind a lot um, these days. Uh, And I don't know, I just find that like remarkably powerful. Like, before we get the big battle scene at the end, which I also think is cut down into mush in the theatrical version. And here I think is, you know, still a CGI third act battle, but quite fun. Um, Directly before that, you get uh, Clark and Lois on the farm uh, with uh, the famous Martha and they just embrace because they're back together. They thought they would never see each other again. And they have this quiet moment and, you want them to have more moments like that. I think it's some of the most strikingly beautiful images in the genre. And Hmm. if the mother box explodes, then there's nowhere for that to go. You're yes, you're absolutely right. And it's something that I've been thinking a lot. And I think it's something that I liked about Batman v Superman. I personally 
the Martha thing in that movie was one of my favorite things about it's it. It's good. <laughs> because I think that what is missing in so many of these superhero movies that we've had lately is the the romance and the emotion and the mm-hmm. melodrama of it all. You know, like this Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, at least the first yeah. two, to me, they're romance. They're like about Mary Absolutely. Jane and Peter Parker first, and mm-hmm. then they're superheroes second. Now, I'll tell you what I like the most about the Justice League, or the moment that touched me the most which i think goes with snyder's idea of being a god or becoming a god because it's about cyborg and when we see him learn of what who he is and the the extent of his new powers and how powerful he is and how he can basically hack into any computer in the world and there's that scene in which he goes to the to see everyone's bank's accounts and sees this woman who's struggling because she doesn't have enough money to pay rent or whatever and he decides to put money in her account and it was this idea of um i don't know it it really spoke to me to the fantasy of why once i was interested in superheroes and people who could do these kinds of things and they really touched me and i was on the edge of tears because thinking that this you know he's putting he's doing something heroic just by giving this her this woman money yeah the moments of heroism in this movie are really extraordinary um what you said about romance in the genre i think is really important because if i were to build a personal canon of important superhero movies um you know you'd have batman returns in there um, you would have Spider-Man 2, of course. Um, you would you would have this. You would probably have that movie, Superman. Um, but all of those movies have romantic elements. And it's so funny to see those things be openly mocked for being um, weird or comical. Like, there's a scene in Batman v Superman where uh, Lois is taking a bath. And uh, Henry Cavill gets in the bath with all his clothes on. And people are like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And sure, it's pretty dumb. But rewatching it again, I'm like, yeah, but at least two people are on screen are like horny for each other. And like, I haven't seen that in one of these in a while. I think it's a great scene. I think it's yeah, very romantic. I, 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 I do too. I'm like, you, what, you've never been so horny you got in a bathtub with your clothes on? Come on. Yeah, I mean, maybe he could have taken his shoes off. I think that's the thing that like maybe okay. pushes it a little bit. <laughs> They're a little me. waterlogged and it's probably dirty in there now. Yeah. But. But other than that, I thought it was it was great. It was yeah, romantic. Yeah, like, like, and Justice it's memorable. It's so memorable. Right. Like you know, like the upside down kiss in the first it. Spider-Man is iconic oh, because course. it is an incredible moment of iconography, and I think that's what he does so well in these movies. Right, and this is this movie especially is such like romantic in the classical sense, right? Like it has this sweep. It has this understanding of. Uh, what these ideas mean and what emotions mean uh, and has kind of this clear-eyed wonder about superheroes. Um, And part of that is that it is four hours long. And one of the things you get when you get with a movie that is essentially a work print is you get to see all the things that would have been on the cutting room floor first in any shorter version. And these are often my favorite moments. So you have that cyborg scene. Um, I I love that. Um, You have the scene where um, the Flash grabs the hot dog out of the air and also sees the woman that one day he'll marry. Um, this is incre- that scene's incredible. It's so that great. scene's so good. Um, and it's it's such a good counterpoint to like the way the X-Men movies use uh, Quicksilver slow motion, where it's just an excuse to do, do cool shit. And here it's 
all about perspective and just like emotional emotional max maximalism but the moment that really struck me that the moment where i knew that actually this film is really good and it's not just fun to me was the moment when aquaman walks back into the sea and the icelandic women all gather and they mm -hmm. start singing to him for an extended period of time and one of them like lifts up and smells his sweater and i'm like first of all same uh <laughs> second like you would never see that like not even in superhero movies that's not the type of thing you see in a multiplex anymore mm -hmm. right yeah the yeah. grace notes are just and, and make it, is, it for me and it's all coherent because it is the kind of I mean, I don't know what she's saying, but it just sounds no, like the either. kind of song that you would sing about an ancient hero, you know, like an ancient folk. You know ballad. what it is? It's probably Hallelujah in Icelandic. <laughs> Incredible. That's even better. <laughs> it's probably one of like, and that's, an, that's another thing about this movie um, and Zack Snyder's work in general is that it's very easy to uh, make fun of his song choices um, for being too try hard or uh, too hip or whatever, or too on the nose really. But I will take Aquaman walking into the ocean to Nick Cave over like whatever the soundtrack to Guardians of the Galaxy is, right? Like mm -hmm. those, the soundtracks for those movies and most superhero movies is really based on, hey, what songs do people know? What songs will people like to be reminded of in these movies? And something like the There is a Kingdom drop in this movie is Zack Snyder saying, hey, here's a song I really like. I just love this song. I'm going to put it in. Mm -hmm. And regardless of whether or not it's ostentatious or even works, uh, it's personal. It's and personal. That's something. You can tell that he has an emotional connection with the song beyond just this is a fun song that I that I want to yeah. put in my movie. Here's here's my here's my music video in the middle of my movie. Yeah. Um. So I want to touch a little bit more on that scene with the flash and the action in general in this movie. So the people listening to this, in a couple of weeks, you'll see that I'm doing an episode about animator Gendy Tartakovsky, which is also hell yeah, kind of stretching the the premise of this show. I don't care. That was, dude rules. <laughs> he was born in Russia, but he's basically an, Amer an American. But he's incredible, and and one of the great things about him, and that makes him a great action director, is the way that he uses anticipation and pauses. And, and posing the characters in the act in between the action right. moments, which is very similar to how Zack Snyder uses speed ramp, which is something yeah. that a lot of people don't like about him and that you mentioned in your review defending it. And I agree with you a hundred percent speed ramping um, when it's done right. And there is literally no one on this earth better at it than Zack Snyder um, is so much fun. Like, I don't know why you would have a problem with it. It's, it's just fun. Um, the th I was rewatching Batman v Superman the day after I first watched Zack Snyder's Justice League, and I was disappointed that there wasn't any speed ramping in it. Oh. Um, because especially in a comic book movie where, like you say, with Gendy Tartakovsky, um, comic books are both in their actual form and in their merchandising about posing, right? Like action figures are action figures because you can bend their arms and make them do different poses right so if i'm watching something and it's just a blur of action and maybe something does like a cool pose for a second i'm like okay cool that was that was neat um but 
when like Zack Snyder just basically freezes the whole frame. So you just have to look at the form of whoever you are watching and just watch that. Uh, I, I can't believe I'm going to say these words. Uh, bodies in space, uh, <laughs> like move the way they do. <laughs> uh, it's it's like consistently it in this movie especially it consistently elicits a fist bump like yeah and, and this is gonna sound hacky as well but it brings me back to like reading a comic book and being marveled by the images and wanting to look at that panel a little longer and like looking at it and being like this is great and it looks awesome and these people are incredible you know they're otherworldly you they're worthy of being stop a moment and look right. at this person you know and the, the 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 poses that are evoked here and the like blocking of the action set pieces is worthy of freezing and looking at for a little bit because these scenes are so often stunning especially in comparison to uh the whedon cut um and that's clear from like minute 15 or whenever steppenwolf comes to themyskyra uh that is again I don't remember it in the Whedon version. It barely exists. And here it's riveting epic fantasy stuff. And I'm just overcome with glee watching this big CGI monster throw like three horses at a time while a woman shoots an arrow with a mother box to another Amazon. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, sure. More of this, more please. I think I read earlier today that 10% of this movie is in slow motion which comes out to 24 minutes. <laughs> Nearly a half hour of Zack Snyder's Justice League is in slow motion. Um, and it's just... The thing that I love about this movie is that it's... A corporation actually gave somebody $70 million to be like, fine, just put all of your obsessions on screen, go all out, and do whatever you want. And I, I just... That doesn't happen very often. And Almost never. I'll take I'll, I'll take it. Especially um, lately. And, especially lately. And this is another thing that you mentioned in, in your, the review. Um, and people, please don't feel like we're saying everything that Chris says in the review. It's still worth reading. Please go check it out. Because um, there's plenty more that we're not going to be talking about. But um, the uh, way, the fact that he's been able to make three movies now and that he has been given this creative freedom that so many people don't have has right. allowed him to comment on his own work and to make it very personal and to build from move one movie to the next on a personal and thematic level, which, mm-hmm. you know, looking at a, a most franchises and in the Marvel movies in particular, but also the Star Wars movies, you know, because they're of built course. by committee and they are thinking about scheduling and plot lines and like we have all these things sketched out yeah. the filmmakers can't really like respond to what happened before in a in a way that feels meaningful right and when when they're not built by community uh the fans get mad uh at them so i i don't know what what to say but there was something a few years ago where warner brothers basically said that there were only three directors there who would still have final cut over their movies. Uh, of course, they were all men um, and all white men. And they were Clint Eastwood, Christopher Nolan, 
and Todd Phillips. Um, I think one of those men has now lost the keys after calling HBO Max the worst streaming service. Uh, sure. I'm sure someone King. else will give him... <laughs> give, give him well, somebody's going to give... Uh, maybe Chris, Christopher Nolan will get keys to something sometime. Uh, Clint's going to keep doing what Clint Eastwood does. Um, and Todd Phillips having final cut on his films is not exciting to me. Um, I, so the top... I understand why Christopher Nolan had Final Cut. He is regarded as one of the top he people. He makes so much money. He makes so much money, and he's respected as a notor. Clint Eastwood, he gets the movies quick, under budget, and he does his thing. He's also and a, he's legend. a legend. Like... And, and he's not going to bankrupt your studio. Sure, he can, Clint have, can have Final Cut, because every now and then he'll have an American Sniper that'll be the biggest movie of all right. time. But or Sully, why, which is the best. Do we know why Todd Phillips was included there? This is before he did Joker, right? Uh, hangover hangover oh they made a lot of money yeah, with hangover made an like unspeakable amount of money for like it, i think it might be the last studio comedy to make that insane amount of money right um and it, even after the sequels still the money was coming yeah in. and and so because of that they were like yeah todd phillips can do uh whatever he wants um yeah i mean i think is bradley cooper at warner brothers yeah right yeah, I think I think he might also have that um, in part because of his partnership with Phillips. Um, right. But it's it's this moment where film filmmaking by Otoris filmmakers is basically dead in the water, um, at least at a studio level, right? Like um, the the films we see by by foreign directors are, are not going away um the films we see by art house directors are not going away but that sort of and, and streaming studios are still going to give money to legends right like uh scorsese there will still be bidding wars for scorsese movies right um but like young filmmakers um or even like 40 year old filmmakers who have a clear vision and want to make something, there's not really room for them to do that with a ton of money anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, which, like, I, the thing that I keep coming back to with this, and I'm sorry if I'm not commenting enough on, like, what the movie is about and the actual, like, textual qualities of the movie, is that it's worth celebrating just because it exists. Mm. Right? Um, it's not something that you see anymore. Um, it's not something that I thought existed. Um, yeah, that's what... Okay, so this might be the thing that gets me cancelled. But I think that at the end of the day, I think the campaign for the release of Snyder Cut, yes, there was a lot of bullying going on there. There was a lot of bad stuff that happened. But I think that it was a uh, worthy impulse that led people into wanting to see the Snyder Like, I think... Um, okay. <laughs> I didn't know it was on the Joe Rogan experience. Yeah, I know, right. But, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I prefer... No, but people, I agree with you. Them to be yelling at other people on the internet, I prefer that they're doing it to, uh, for an a artist that they respect than for a faceless corporation. That's fine. Right. Like, I don't want you to come here bully people over defending Disney or, or, or Warner Brothers even. Like, you know, right. do it if, if you're going to defend an artist that you like to see right. their personal and... vision. Like the attacks that were made against uh, film critics, specifically women film critics, are disgusting and vile, and I like renounce them, obviously. Um, but the 
the the thrust of it, the hey Warner Brothers, hey six billion dollar media conglomerate, let this man who's who's gone through personal tragedy and has a clear vision that nobody else making superhero movies has, let him make the movie he wants to make and show it to us. Um, not only because we want to see it, but also because like we'll print money for you if you do it. Like it, it's the, there are noble intentions to that. I think there are noble intentions to saying, let me see what an artist made rather than just your product that you thought we would like. Mm-hmm. Um, what whatever else surrounds it and whatever else grows out of it. Um, which again, it's unfortunately, and I hate to say this, I don't think we're. I don't think we're ever getting the internet back. I think that mm-hmm. the internet is forever a cursed place where no matter what the movement is, it's going to wind up this way. And that's not an excuse for it, but it's kind of a sad reality that any fan movement like this, I think will be in some ways toxic, unfortunately. Yeah. The other, yeah, the other thing that would be interesting for me to see is how much that impetus can be used in something that is not a superhero movie. You know, like, uh, yeah, like, yeah. It, will people be ever in, be interested in art in this way? So something right. that's on future superheroes? I don't know. I'm trying to think of like what not superhero movies are being taken away from directors or but the problem these days isn't that they're being taken away from the directors it's that nobody's giving those directors checks anymore right True. like the movies aren't being made aren't being made straight up like um if somehow apple tv decides to cut down killers of the flower moon to like an hour and a half yeah i'll be on the front lines <laughs> <laughs> I, that's I, the, I will say yeah that's the upcoming, that's the upcoming scorsese. Scorsese, uh with lily gladstone and jesse plemons uh i i will fully uh join hashtag release the marty cut but that's not going to happen (laughs) because the thing with killers of the flower moon is they're not concerned about pissing off fans of it of an ip killers of the flower moon does not have to green light seven other movies that will continue the story of (laughs) exactly yeah just like characters 20 more movies about Jesse Plemons working for the FBI. I guess we were kind of talking more about the state of cinema, the sorry state of <laughs> cinema than, than the Snyder Cut. Is there anything else about the movie that we that you want to touch on that we haven't? Um, I mean, we, we talked... I, okay, one more thing. Um, and so much of... So much of my response to this movie feels... Uh, preemptively defensive in that like I know the things that people will take issue with and why I don't Um, and one of the things about Zack Snyder that gets consistently criticized and I think is a little bit off base it goes hand in hand with the seriousness thing which is that his movies are like all gray that they uh, lack the color of something like I don't know Guardians of the Galaxy or whatever right Um, but one, I think they have a very clear aesthetic. And I think that this movie um, approaches expressionism at times. Um, there's one shot of Cyborg uh, in the graveyard that is just like all blue. And it's it's really striking. And what that 
brings to the forefront of my mind here is something that I think when the movie first came out, I, I don't know, uh, was it at, I think it might have been at Slate, uh, Karen Hahn wrote a, a a piece about the Snyder Cut and why she thinks it rules, uh, she's right. Um, and one of the things, one of the ways she describes Snyder's aesthetic is being um, sort of unsaturated, but still filled with color. Like the colors are still there. Um, the flash is still bright red, right? Like Wonder Woman's outfit is colorful. Um, there, there's red and there's blue throughout this movie. It's just not taking up the whole frame and it is, you know, kind of muted on a certain level, which I think to me, especially in the action scenes, just makes what splashes of color there are pop more. Mm. And I think there's a moment in the uh, epilogue of this movie, and maybe we should talk more about the epilogue because uh, I think it's interesting and maybe the one thing I don't love. Um, but there, there's there's a moment where you see the iconic uh, Superman shot of Clark walking in his button-up shirt and he unbuttons it to show off the Superman symbol. And I feel like so much of the aesthetic of these films feels like that to me where it's it's muted and then you get taken by a blast of color here or there mm -hmm. and you know sometimes it can be a little bit dour but i think that what it ends up doing is ultimately worthwhile um and mm -hmm. certainly doesn't look the same as everything else which i can't say for the so other many others yeah um I think that's very well said. Let's talk about that epilogue, though. So there's like half an hour at the end of this movie that <laughs> basically is setting up movies that Zack Snyder would have done if he had gotten the opportunity. Is he just mm -hmm. like shooting his shot and hoping for the best? I think that... So an interesting thing about, uh, you know, superhero movies now is that they all lead into one another. Um, so I think that this movie was going to lead into something, like inevitably, mm -hmm. and Snyder wanted to present like what that was because this is what how his movie would have led into those um snyder um i think does a better job reframing and recontextualizing the movies that came before whatever movie he's making with the new movie um which is something that i read a little bit about in my piece and that i really like um but so the first part of the epilogue is like the ending of the movie you see like the joyous moments there's a beautiful image of the flash running in slow motion just like Tears of Joy, just because he's running, um, that I really like. You get that moment of Clark unbuttoning his shirt, um, a few other things here. And then you get a cut to black, and it reopens, and you've got what was the post credit scene of Justice League originally, um, in which uh, like Deathstroke meets Lex on a boat, and he's like, go kill Batman, or whatever. And then you get another uh, nightmare with a K uh, sequence, uh, like that in Batman v Superman that is kind of like, hey, a future is coming that, you know, is even worse. Like the world's going to end real bad and Superman's going to be pissed because Lois Lane died mm -hmm. and you're going to have to fight him, Batman. And you're going to have to team up with uh, Jared Leto's Joker, apparently. Um, and thematically, I kind of respond to it, right? Because it's this idea that even if, they've saved the world. Doom is still impending, as it were. Uh, but it was still worthwhile to put off that great death because uh, of course it is. Because of course it is good to delay Doom for another day, right? Mm -hmm. um, but 
that's the only scene that is entirely new for the movie. Um, that's the only scene that they shot specifically for this. Uh, and I don't think it works on like a performance level. I think it's kind of weird and clunky. Batman says fuck, uh, which I don't have a problem with. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm kind of okay with not even thinking about it because it comes right after what was previously a post credit scene. So I'm like, I don't think about those scenes in other movies, so whatever. Yeah. Um, I do think it's... I agree with you that the scene is overlong, clunky, doesn't really work. But it does make me intrigued for this idea, which I think has been set up from the beginning in Zack Snyder's imagination. I think it's something that interests him of Superman being such a, a, having a potential to be a destructive force. Because I right. think the thing about Superman being so powerful and the thing that makes him a great superhero is that he could kill us all in a second, but he <laughs> yeah. chooses not to. So, right. Like, it, Superman's ability to kill everybody is what makes Batman a fascist and Batman v Superman, right? Like, he's like, this can't, this cannot be. Right. We can't have this. And this so can't go far, unchecked. Superman's been a pretty swell guy. I mean, there was the whole destruction and everything, but... Yeah. It could be much worse, and it could get much worse, and it would be interesting to see that. And it's an interesting idea. Yeah. I think it's something that, I mean, your reading of Batman v Superman as a story about tech bros is interesting in that regard as well, that he's really interested in these people who have so much power and how they can wield it however they want to. And just influence politics, right? Like, he's able to convince Batman and Superman that the other is a threat to whatever yeah, and that... and i think i think that's isn't isn't that what american politics is on a yeah. certain level uh it's just people being manipulated into hating one another um but i think the idea of superman uh going bad as it were it rankles with a lot of people because it's it's you know it's superman but on the other hand i think snyder's done work to ground it in what he wants to say with these movies which is ultimately like for however much i don't think he's interested in alter egos the way other people are other people make superhero movies are like superman's superman like whether he's clark Kent or superman he's superman uh ben affleck's bruce wayne barely exists it's it's batman um they're still driven by their connections to each other and to other people the best the best scenes the best batman scenes are whenever he's with jeremy irons is alfred um and the best Superman scenes or whenever he's with Lois, right? So the key here is the idea that like this personal love is what keeps Superman going. What makes him a good person is that he has this great love in his life. And the idea that he could lose it is what could turn him mm-hmm. to, you know, it's uh so it's, it's the like same the idea Star as the Star Wars, Wars prequels. prequels. <laughs> exactly um i exactly um these movies are the star wars prequels of uh their times of our time of of superhero movies both in that they are uh quote good actually um but also in that i think that they are like very beautiful expressions of everything their artist wants to do in the genre like i know it's not a very popular movie but I really love Attack of the Clothes. Uh, I didn't for a long time. I recently came to it on a rewatch and was like, actually, this is a beautiful movie, I think. Um, it's both the political peak of Star Wars, 
while also being um, the peak of everything George Lucas wants to do with melodrama and and adventure serials all in one. And I think on Letterboxd, they kind of jokingly called this movie the uh, the Attack of the Clones of Superhero Movies because to me, it is exactly that. It is a strikingly beautiful melodrama uh, with cool action scenes that represents the like climax of Zack Snyder's superhero project. I couldn't have said it better myself. I think that's, I don't think I'm going to top that. So I think this might be the place to, <laughs> to wrap up. Uh, thanking you for being on the show. This was a great conversation. I, I like immediately went and I put uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League and Attack of the Clones in my uh, letterbox top four, along with the red shoes and down with love. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> that's a pretty good four. Um, yeah, those are good movies. <laughs> do you want to tell people, Do you would you like people to find you in Letterboxd? Um, wanna... Yeah, I'm on Letterboxd under my full name, Christopher Mello. Um, if it still goes by user usernames, I think I'm on there as Tangible Gary, all one word. Um, you can follow me on there. I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on most social media. Uh, everything else is pretty private. Um, if you want to find my writing, um, I am at dimthehouselights.com, a site that my buddies run um, that has been kind of dormant for a while, but I'm trying to start it back up with my newest long piece. And then most of my writing is over at um, In Review Online, um, a site that is consistently doing what I think is some of the best critical work out there. Um, everybody on there and every piece published on that site is worth the read. Uh, and I encourage you to check it out. Um, the one last thing I want to shout out is um, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Um, this movie is inextricably linked to um, someone's suicide and um, a lot of money was raised during release of Snyder Cut to go towards the to the American Foundation for Su Suicide Prevention. Um, it's an important cause. I think most people in their lives have been touched by suicide one way or another. Um, I know I have um, and you know, it's 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 important stuff. That's <laughs> to be reductive about it, but it's it's I, I you know I think it's what Zach would want me to say. Yeah, I think that's very well said. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks everyone for listening. I'll catch you in a couple of days with a regular scheduled programming. All right.